Welcome back to a Minor Detail Podcast. My name is Ryan Miner. We're at Harry Brown's, our flagship location here in Annapolis for session. We're covering the latest in breaking news and politics. And I have tremendous guests today. These are the heavy hitters. This is the, the policy wonks of Annapolis. These are the guys that you see in the hall in the hallways that are tracking down the legislators that are walking throughout the buildings and making stuff happen. I could use another one, right? They're, they're <laughs> making stuff happen, but I have the pleasure of having Mike Tidwell, the founder and director of Chesapeake Climate Action Network, and I also have Vincent, Benny, DeMarco, you prefer Benny, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, who, who is the president of the Maryland Citizens <laughs> Health Initiative, who's also an adjunct assistant professor at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. So, gentlemen, welcome tonight. We're going to talk about two big issues, one of which is the Maryland Clean Jobs Act. And, Benny, I want to talk about prescription jobs. <coughs> but first, have you all been following this issue in Baltimore City? Something happening in Baltimore City that we're <laughs> not aware of. <laughs> Mike, you've been around politics for a long time. You've written numerous, what, five books? Six. Six books. What do you make of this situation in Baltimore City? Well, uh, Kathy Pugh was an outstanding senator here in Annapolis for years and was a friend of uh, a lot of progressive issues. So it's, uh, it's sad to see uh, this situation. I can only hope that it gets resolved. Uh, uh, obviously, there's, there's a lot there and a lot of surprises. And all I can say is I, I share the feelings of most people in that this is just a fundamental tragedy. Disappointing. I'm a Baltimore City resident, and I'm incredibly saddened by it. Uh, incredibly saddened by it. And, you know, we need to really move forward in our city. And I'm, 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 I'm grateful that, uh, that Jack Young has is, is, is said what he said about really making the city work. And we got to elect a good mayor uh, next year. But, you know, it's just very sad for us. <laughs> Yeah, it's my baby. It's your baby. This is, a, this is a piece of legislation that has been filtered throughout Annapolis nonstop. Nonstop. This is, this is one of those big action items that I think you're going to, after April 8th, on April 9th, you can say, we did our jobs and we did it well. Let's talk about the Maryland Clean Jobs Act. Actually, that's a mouthful. Clean Energy Jobs Act, yes. Jobs Act. But first, Mike, you, um, one of your books, in fact, you predicted Hurricane Katrina. Let's talk about your background. Okay, so tell me about the Chesapeake Climate Action Network, and then tell me about your advocacy and your work and what you do on the daily. Well, I started out as a print journalist, uh, a freelance journalist at age 22. I've always wanted to be a writer. I wound up freelancing for the Washington Post, uh, National Geographic, Traveler Magazine, lots of different publications for the first half of my career. Um, but I became increasingly concerned about the issue of climate change. Um, I started reporting on climate change for the Post and other publications. But I realized that the knowledge or the, the gulf between what we know about global warming and what we're actually doing about it 
it is like intergalactic in distance. So I, I, there was plenty of information even 17 years ago when I founded Chesapeake Climate Action Network, but very little action. So I decided to form a nonprofit, become an advocate, and I've this is my 17th session lobbying in Annapolis uh, for clean energy bills. Our first bill passed in 2004, uh, mandatory clean electricity standard. We've gone on to pass uh, the Healthy Air Act, the Clean Cars Act, uh, the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Act, the Offshore Wind Act, uh, but this year the Maryland Clean Energy Jobs Act is the biggest single clean energy climate bill we've tried to pass with the help of my good friend Vinny DeMarco. Uh, we have advocated that by the year 2030, half of our electricity come from clean renewable sources. Wow, that's a, that's a feat. Is it, has it been a challenge pushing, pushing this legislation through? Because I know we have seen some opposition, of course, on the Eastern Shore. And we'll get into that because that that's important to talk about. Um, but let's just back up to a, a journalist. So that's impressive. You made the transition to becoming an advocate. Was that tough to, to come off the sidelines um, instead of behind the other side of the pen in the notebook? It was very hard. Uh, in my heart, I'm a I'm a writer, and every day I'm not writing. I'm just. You know, just a writer who's pretending to be someone else. Um, so I miss the the journalism, but I, I spend a lot of time writing in this current role, a lot of op-eds. I had an op-ed in the Washington Post just a couple of weeks ago about this bill and about the issue of crisis of climate change. Uh, but I just take those communication skills that I've had from a young age that made me aspire to be a writer, and I try to uh, bring it to this job as a clean energy advocate. Well, that's the transition go the opposite direction where they sometimes people become advocates they, they want to transfer over to the other side. Mm-hmm. That's tough. Mm-hmm. But I applaud that and you have done it well in the form this excellent grassroots nonprofit organization dedicated to raising awareness about solutions associated with global warming. So here we are, we're in the state's capital and you are pushing forward this extraordinary piece of legislation called the Clean Energy Jobs Act that mandates that 50% of the state's electricity yeah, comes, like as you said, from renewable sources by 2030. Walk us through that legislation. Can you break it down? Well, it's a it's a it's a great bill. It really is. Uh, it uh, does a lot for Maryland jobs. Uh, that's why we call it the Maryland Clean Energy Jobs Act. It would literally create tens of thousands of jobs in the uh, solar industry and the offshore wind industry. It would further incentivize our our state's push to get more offshore wind farms built. It uh, creates a lot of uh, demand for rooftop solar, utility scale solar, uh, and. Uh, it invests $17 million in uh, worker training and support to clean energy businesses owned by women, veterans, and minorities. Um, so it's got equity. It's got the environmental aspect. It's got the economic aspects. And honestly, it's got tremendous support, tremendous support. And no conspiracy. Well, we got out of the Senate uh, two weeks ago by a vote of 33 to 13. We did get a Republican. Chris West, yes. That, that, of course, he voted with the, with the Democrats on the death of dignity. Right, I right. I think that's the right euphemism to use for that legislation. 
Right, right. Um, and the, the, you know, obviously the wind and solar industry supported the NAACP, the Carpenters Union, SEIU. So we've got labor, we've got industry, we've got environmental groups. Every major environmental group in the state supports it. And there's no real conspicuous opposition. You know, back in the early days when I formed CCAN, BG&E, Pepco, the Chamber of Commerce all tried to kill these clean energy bills because it was a change. It was different. It was a disruptive industry. Fast forward to 2019, none of them opposed the bill. Uh, and it's just a matter of not opposed. Not opposed. Interesting. Okay. I use, we have Pepco in Montgomery County where I live. You're, you're in what? Tacoma Park? Tacoma Park. Tacoma Park. Um, I remember. Do you remember Roger Berliner? Of course. Former councilman. Yes. One of his, his ads when he ran for county executives, he kept the lights on. Uh huh. Yes, yes. How did you present the, the merits of the bill and what did what was the reaction from several legislators that you did talk to? It honestly has not been a hard sell. I mean, the thing is, 15 years ago, we didn't have the data. We were promising solar jobs. We were promising technology and new companies would come with this. We were promising environmental benefits. Now we have 15 years of data showing that we've created 5,000 solar jobs. There are 170 solar businesses. Uh, the wind industry is ready to go. Offshore wind is ready to manufacture all these component parts in Baltimore. Um, so we have data, and it hasn't been a hard sell. I think that the, the, the holdback has only been, you know, the, the, the Speaker of the House has been uh, reluctant uh, uh, to sign on. He hasn't been opposed to the bill. There's been Speaker Bush. Uh, there's been some talk of maybe we'll do this next year or the year after. And we've... Yeah, I mean, we've just had so many emails and phone calls, and I think they're, they're, we're, we're going to see a vote this week. I mean, uh, Derek Davis, the chair of the Economic Matters Committee, could be, could be. Um, and he has signaled in, uh, in uh, the, the, the media and elsewhere that he uh, expects there's going to be a vote this week. So we're hoping this becomes the sleeper bill, the last big bill of the General Assembly, the Clean Energy Jobs Act. So let's talk about some of the bullet points Yes, a plan. It just mandates that there be a study to see how could we get to 100% by 2040, but it mandates 50% clean energy by 2030. Clean energy, by my definition, is uh, uh, energy that does not involve uh, combustion, does not involve uh, greenhouse gases. Now, there are others who will say that... uh, Trash incineration or uh, burning black liquor from paper mills is renewable clean energy. Uh, this bill, uh, you know, has had some discussion around that, and we'll see how the General Assembly votes on it. But mostly, it's wind and solar power. Is, is coal uh, not in my book. No, it's not. Have you fought that? Yes, we have fought um, coal combustion in this Your state. Uh, yes, we worked very hard to ban fracking in the state of Maryland. Do you give the governor any credit whatsoever? I give the cre- the governor enormous credit for for supporting the fracking ban in 2017. I know that 
Democratic organization say um, it, it was a political maneuver for him to take that position, especially near the campaign um, that he was, when he was running for re-election. But do you, many Republicans would, are very supportive of fracking, but he said, no, we're going to put a hold on in the Board of Public Works and, and of course, in Rancho and, and Nancy Cop when they were doing the, the Potomac Pipeline as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I think this governor, even as a Republican, has been not reluctant to, to look at these environmental issues and say, I think we can get some consensus on this. Look, I give the governor enormous credit for not only supporting, but then, of course, signing. I mean, he, he supported the fracking ban in 2017, even before it got to his desk. He deserves a lot of credit for that. He signed it into law. Uh, he has said he is a governor who wants to get things done on climate change. He had an op-ed in The Washington Post in December where he said climate change, unless we do something about it, will cripple Maryland's economy. His word, cripple. Um, so that's the good part. The not so good part is he did he has vetoed some clean energy legislation. Which one? He he vetoed uh, a bill in uh, 2016 to move the state to 25 percent clean electricity. The General Assembly overrode that that bill. We're optimistic that since the Paris Accord and a lot of things that the governor said that he's supportive of the Paris Climate Accord, the International Treaty, and others in this Washington Post op-ed, that he won't veto this bill. I, I just feel like he has committed more to climate change now than he did even two or three years ago. Wow. That's, that's impressive that you have the, the state's chief executive out here. Are you confident that he is going to support this, this legislation? I'm confident. Have you talked to him? I've not. I've talked to many of his staff who, well, uh, many of them are very supportive of these kind of policies. And they know that we have to not just talk about climate change. We need some actual policies to reduce emissions. This is the number one thing the state of Maryland can do. Let's talk about the opposition on the other side. You are also pushing wind power. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So on the eastern shore. How many of the state? There's three senators who represent the Eastern Shore. There's Steve Hershey, there is Addie Eckert, and then Mary Beth Colosa. Where do they stand on this legislation? Uh, I know all three voted against the bill when it passed out of the Senate, 33 to 13. Uh, Senator Hershey's given many. I think they have concerns about just intervening in markets, you know, that that sort of uh, take, um, you know, cost to ratepayers, which is very, very modest with this bill. Uh, and I think, honestly, I'm not sure they give enough credit to the jobs that will be created. There's some concern about visual impacts uh, off the coast of Ocean City, but frankly, those are minor uh, in terms of what we've heard. Significant amount of jobs that are going to be created um, if this does pass. Um, I believe it's 5,500 new wind. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at my notes. 5,500 new wind jobs, and then how many in solar? I uh, tens of thousands. Tens I mean, by the time we get to 50 percent. Um, so, what's the rub on this, this, this wind power? Why are people? What is your estimation of why people are opposed to, to having 
big wind turbines, um, maybe right off the coast of the bay or, or whatnot. Why, what's the breakdown? Um, I, I think that there's a very small number of people who are overreacting to the fact that on a clear winter day, You'll be able, those wind turbines will be the size of your thumbnail when you hold your hand out. And on summer days where it's hazy, nobody's going to see them. Uh, I think the visual impacts issue is look, change is hard for a lot of people. If you're in the tourism business, you, you know, things are good now. You don't want any changes. I get that. But I think that what you'll see is once those wind farms are built, they're going to be an economic draw. They're going to be ecotourism boats that take people out to see those wind turbines. More people will come to Ocean City. Um, so, uh, look, honestly, vi- I mean, I mean, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I think they convey hope and they're emotional when you look at them. I think that they're they're they convey a future that's uh, benevolent to the environment and good for local jobs. Instead of importing coal from West Virginia or gas from Pennsylvania, we could create this wind power right here in Maryland. Um, last year, the state lost They seem to have a they seem to have an out for the environment, at least from my perspective. And the tariffs on solar panels and steel and aluminum. Is that affecting the legislation? Is that affecting your work and what you're trying to advocate on behalf of? One of the things that, that- Vinny DeMarco and I have both conveyed and many of the advocates this session is that this is a exceptionally urgent piece of legislation. This is basically emergency legislation and for a lot of different reasons. First there's climate change. I mean there there was a scientific report that came out in January that showed that shopkeepers in Annapolis are being flooded by sea level rise directly linked to climate change. In addition to that crisis as if that's not enough President Trump has basically declared war on solar. Uh, he's imposed and the Chesapeake Bay, he has been. A strong advocate he has been. Yes. Everything. Everything. I have not talked to Andy Harris, but I know that Chris Van Hollen sent a letter to the General Assembly just two weeks ago and said if the Maryland Clean Energy Jobs Act does not pass, that we would leave nearly a quarter billion quarter billion with a B dollars in federal tax credits on the table that could be otherwise used to help create Maryland jobs and put solar panels on homes. So you're talking about a lot of money in tax credits that Chris Van Hollen himself worked to put in place that would be left on the table. That's in addition to the 800 solar jobs lost last year in part because of Donald Trump. Additional 400 solar jobs could be lost this year. It, it never got a vote. I don't think it was ready for prime time. It was more education year. It's part of the normal maturation of a bill. This year is our year. Later this week. I mean, we're... 
Yes, we're Wednesday today. I think uh, Friday, Saturday. Saturday. Could we go into session on Saturday? I think the house will be in session. Well, I think we all know what happened with Marianne Lasanti. Yes. And then they censure her. Yes. And she's still around. She hasn't resigned. Doesn't seem like they're going to expel her. After that happens, would your organization, uh, I get, what's the right word I'm looking for? Would your organization not confident in her abilities to, to leave? Correct. Uh, we asked her to withdraw her sponsorship of the bill. And, um, you know, it's unclear whether that's been formally done, but it has been in all practical terms. Derek Davis has basically said, give it to your number two, our number two on the bill. Number two sponsor was Cheryl Glenn of Baltimore City. Um, so uh, for all practical purposes, this is the Cheryl Glenn slash Economic Matters Committee bill. Mike, what's the headline? But where we stand now, what's the headline that you would want to read tomorrow in uponamoderdetail.com? Sleeper bill of the 2019 General Assembly session uh, passes through the General Assembly in the next few days, the Clean Energy Jobs Act. This is the big last piece of unfinished, truly unfinished business, in my opinion. Tremendous support, virtually no opposition, crisis, urgency in every manner of the word, uh, and it's time to do it. It has been a positive session for the environment, correct? It has. The phone ban? The phone ban is great. Uh, preserving oyster sanctuaries are great, and people deserve enormous credit for that, including Speaker Bush. Uh, but the climate crisis, in my view, outranks them all. Uh, we've got real jobs on the table and a real climate crisis. You're going to be following the presidential candidate with respect to their positions on climate change. Is climate change the defining issue I, I find it hard to imagine that it's not because climate change affects everything. You name something that's important to you, something that you love, whether it's your second home in, in Garrett County or, you know, your ch child's future or the air you breathe, whatever it is, it will be changed by climate change unless we do something about it. So, yes, this is the central organizing principle of the 21st century is to solve this problem. Somebody was sitting right next to you and they said, Mike, climate change is not real, it's not happening, there's no such thing as global warming, what would you say to them? Well, first of all, climate denialism is on the decline. Fewer and fewer people, even in the Republican Party, you deny... Well. He may never change his mind, but uh, senator from Oklahoma. But uh, the vast majority of Americans, including Republicans, uh, deny it less and less because they're seeing it day after day. Extraordinary flooding, heat waves, wildfires. Um, I would say to someone who's still skeptical, uh, there is no reason why we have to continue to burn fossil fuels to keep the lights on. We get more jobs, a lot more jobs per dollar spent in solar and wind power. In fact, the fastest growing job in this country is a solar panel installer. Um, the future economically is with re renewable energy uh, and the environment uh, depends on us solving this problem. How much energy can be harnessed out of the solar panel? 
I am, I come down on par when it comes to energy costs. I will tell you that I'm very proud of the fact that we'll reach our energy bill. Last month, February and March, my, my electric bill was 47 dollars. Wow. I, I'm, I'm impressed. That is, wow. that's impressive. Wow. My wife saw the bill, she's like, okay, she goes, no wonder I married you. But, uh, is, more solar power. Is that becoming more prominent throughout the state of Maryland? People are putting solar panels on their homes and investing in that technology? Absolutely. There's more solar in this state times 10. Isn't it? Yes, I do. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Now, I have, uh, uh, I've had, I've powered my house with solar since 2001. I've saved thousands of dollars. And I also tell people put solar panels on your roof, it makes you a happier person. <laughs> I drive a Chevy Volt. Uh, I'm a vegetarian. Uh, I try to walk the walk. <laughs> You'll love it. Well, thank you for having me, and I'm thrilled to be here with uh, with Mike Tidwell. He is a Maryland hero for what he's done, doing, and will do to protect our climate and protect our our whole uh, uh, ability to live in our in our state and our planet. So, thank you, Mike. And uh, I'm working with Mike on this bill as the president of the Maryland Clean Energy Jobs Initiative, and I'm proud to play a supporting role here and get get this done. I'm very very excited about it. And uh, as you said, I'm also the president of the Maryland Citizens Health Initiative that we've been working since 1999 to achieve quality, affordable health care for all Marylanders. And we've had some tremendous successes like increasing the tobacco and alcohol taxes to reduce teen smoking and underage drinking and thereby also use the money to expand health care to people. Even before the ACA, we expand health care to 100,000 people. But since the ACA... Affordable Care Act, our focus has been to implement and get it going well in Maryland and build on that. And we've reduced, uh, uh, cut our uninsured rate in half and really saved many, many lives and made health care more affordable for uh, for uh, many, many Marylanders. But as everybody knows, just like uh, uh, Donald Trump has been so bad for the environment, he's been really bad for health care. And he tried, as everyone knows, to uh, repeal the Affordable Care Act, and luckily we all remember John McCain's thumbs down with the help of Maryland's delegation. Shows and they asked her at the end, outside of her, the 
Well, absolutely right. And it's very sad how the Trump administration has done everything it can to weaken the Affordable Care Act. They weren't able to repeal it, but they've done everything it can to weaken it. Luckily, here in Maryland, we're moving forward. And um, at our request in 2017, the legislature created something called the Maryland Health Insurance Coverage Protection Commission, on which I served, and is chaired by two of the very best legislators in Maryland, Delegate Jocelyn Peña-Melnick and Senator Brian Feldman. Senator Brian Feldman also being uh, one of the, uh, the lead Senate sponsor of the Clean Energy Jobs Act. He's a great, great leader. And he and Delegate Peña-Melnick have been tremendous health care leaders. And last year, they got a, a, enacted a law to keep insurance premiums down through a reinsurance program, which is great. And this year, we're working with the two of them on two projects. One is to get people enrolled in health care. We want to bring that uninsured rate down further. It's 6% now. We want it to go down further. Massachusetts, that's 3%. We can, we can do better. Uh, uh, yes, absolutely. It's a result of that um, measure, which became the Affordable Care Act. as a model. Yes, the blueprint. But... The world is quite ironic. But, but, but the fact is that this year we're about to enact a bill introduced by Delegate Peña Melnick and Senator Feldman that we're calling the Maryland Easy Enrollment Health Insurance Program, which will, for the first time in the country, actively use the tax system to find and enroll people in health care. There are over 100,000 Marylanders who are eligible for free or very low-cost health care but not enrolled. They may not know about it. For whatever reason, we're going to get them enrolled, and that will help them and their families and all of us, because the more people that are in the system, the lower our premiums are. Well, what's going to happen is that in 2020, when you file your tax returns, you'll be asked, do you have health insurance? If the answer is no, they will check. If you're eligible for Medicaid, Unless you don't want to be, you will be enrolled automatically into Medicaid, which is really tremendous. 50,000 people are in that category. If you're above that level, so you're not eligible for Medicaid, but you're eligible for Affordable Care Act coverage in the private sector, if you could get it for virtually free, you'll be told, hey, you're eligible for virtually free insurance. Here's all you have to do. And then they go, uh, they go do it. Well, it doesn't apply to people on Medicare, so okay. it, you have to be below 65. Uh, but, but if you're below 65 and you're eligible for these programs, we're going to find you. We think this is really exciting, and we think that this is going to be signed by the governor for sure and that, that it will be something that's going to be touted across the country as a bipartisan way, and it passed by huge margins, 46 to 0 in the Senate. It's a really brilliant idea, and I can say that since it wasn't my idea, but we work with Families USA to come up with it, and we're thrilled that it's going to really make a lot of progress. In addition to that bill, uh, Delegate Pena Melnick has put in um, House Bill 768 and Senator Klausmeyer in the Senate, Senate Bill uh, 759, to finally do something in Maryland about prescription drug affordability. We all know that drugs don't work if people can't afford them. And so many people can't afford the drugs they desperately need. I've got to tell you, my grandfather, who's 94, is a veteran, World War II veteran. The amount of prescription drugs that he goes through, thank God for the insurance. There's been a couple of times where they're criminal. We're talking about thousands of Marylanders in a similar situation. We're very lucky that he had. 
We can't, and the rest of the world doesn't let it happen. All around the world, they have institutions like we're trying to create here called Prescription Drug Affordability Board that will say to the drug corporations, you want to charge all that? Well, you go ahead and charge whatever you want, but we're paying a fair amount. We're paying an affordable amount. And we're going to do that in Maryland because we have to. And the drug corporations say, well, we, this is not right. We need, to, we need all this money uh, for research. Well, they spend so much on advertising, which we all see all the time. Some of more than that, and then they spend on research. And only two countries, the United States and New Zealand, are the only countries in the world that let the drug corporations advertise for, on, on these drugs. It just doesn't make sense that that's where the money goes. But we can make the prescription drugs more affordable in Maryland. And if a bill to do so, Delegate Jocelyn Pena Melanie's bill, passed the House of Delegates last week by 98 to 40. And it just had a hearing in the Senate today. We're not in the committee, yes, but not on the floor. Not on the floor of the House. It was disappointing. I don't know the answer. I don't know. It just became a partisan thing, like clean energy jobs, where they just didn't want more government. I don't know what it is. We hope he does. We hope he doesn't veto it. And um, in, in 2017, we passed a price gouging bill, which he didn't sign or veto, but he criticizes as as, as um, only dealing with generic drugs. We need a brand name drugs, and that's what this bill that's what this bill does. The fact of the matter is prescription drug affordability is a critical issue. Unfortunately, the 2017 law was declared unconstitutional, but we've crafted this bill so it won't be. And it will work, and I believe that the Maryland can lead the way in being the first state in the nation to, like these other countries around the world, say we're going to stand up to the drug corporations and protect Marylanders so they can afford their prescription drugs. Yeah, I, I talk to them all the time. We hope that in the Senate, a couple of them will vote. Will vote. Well, let me say this. Every district in the state supports this proposal. I can tell you, based on our polling, all across the state... When you say, do you want a prescription drug affordability board, 80% of Marylanders want it. You describe what it'll do. It's 80% support. Yes. So, uh, and the you know, county executives. Like, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Mike. And Barry, Gla I'm glad you said that. Yeah, Barry Glassman, the Republican county executive of Harford County, and all the other Democratic county executives, Johnny Olszewski, Stuart Pittman, Angel Alsobrooks, Mark Elridge, Calvin Ball, Jan Gardner have all done radio ads and TV ads for us to say we need a prescription drug affordability board. I think it's going to happen. Our goal is to make sure the strong bill that passed the House is what the Senate passes in the next few days. So tell me some of the other legislation that you're following closely or that you're advocating or lobbying on behalf of the Well, these are the two main ones. Plus, there is another bill to figure out how to protect Maryland if that horrible Texas court decision gets upheld, which uh, which which declared the Affordable Care Act unconstitutional. Yeah, they found a rogue judge. Yeah, yeah, but I I do not think that's going to be upheld. But we're going to pass a measure to protect Maryland in, in case it does. 
Well, let me let me just say that uh, there were technological problems in Maryland and nationally and in a few other states, which were very unfortunate. And a, a lot of people couldn't get on the website and get their health care, and it was sad. Um, but the good news is that that was fixed. And right now, under Democratic administration and now under the Hogan administration, they're doing a great job. Uh, the, the, the Maryland um, Health Exchange, uh, run, uh, it, it run by a terrific woman named Michelle Eberly, is doing a wonderful job of implementing the Affordable Care Act so that it will work. And, uh, I, I, you know, like, uh, uh, like uh, Mike was saying, Governor Hogan ban- uh, supported the fracking ban and all the rest. He also opposed repealing the Affordable Care Act, and it was very supportive of making the Affordable Care Act work work in Maryland. So we hope that he will support the Prescription Drug Affordability Board legislation because it will help to make the Affordable Care Act work. Thinking alongside baseline of healthcare, that is the no, one of the number one public policy issues that people all around the country are saying that healthcare costs too much. So here's a question for you: Should there be a public option? We should we should look at it nationally. It's harder to do at a, some of these things are harder to do at a state at a state level, uh, but but we should absolutely look at all, all options. In Maryland, we have this. Uh, health Insurance Coverage Protection Commission, out of which came the bills that we're working on now to get more people enrolled. That commission was just extended for another three years. We're going to be looking carefully on how to protect the Affordable Care Act and build on it to get closer to 0% uninsured. Well, my, my, I'm, I'm pleased that all of them are making protecting the Affordable Care Act and building on it a goal, an absolute top priority. And, we're, we're, you know, there's some differences in how they would reach that, but they all share that goal. And I'm hoping that we have a president in 2021 who will want to go forward on health care, not backward. It was incredible. It's, it was the best expansion of health care in Maryland since Medicaid and Medicare of the mid-60s, and one of the most productive social justice goal uh, accomplishments of our generation, or last couple generations. And President Barack Obama deserves a lot of credit for doing that and pushing it through and, and, um, and making it happen. And I want to really thank uh, you know, former Governor O'Malley, Speaker Bush, and President Miller, House Speaker Bush, Senate President Miller, for all they did to implement the law, and we hope to continue to implement the law well here in Maryland and and build on it. And we hope that Governor Hogan will work with us to do that. Well, all, all I can say is, 
Uh, yeah, I'm a lot older than Mike since the <laughs> since the mid '80s. I've been uh, here in Annapolis since the mid '80s. In fact, here's a fact factoid for you: myself and my colleague Len Lucci are amongst the only people here in Annapolis who lobbied Mike Miller, President Mike Miller, before he was Senate wow. President in 1986 <laughs> when he was. Yeah, he was chair of the Senate Judicial Proceedings Committee. I was working on the gun violence prevention issue, and Len and I lobbied him. So that, there's a factoid for you. <laughs> so. Right. Oh, absolutely. We are lucky to live in a state where uh, the General Assembly members come here every year ready to do big things, not small things. Um, and uh, we've done great things on climate, uh, the fracking ban, uh, uh, renewable energy, offshore wind act. Uh, we have more to do, but I am so proud to be a Marylander. Uh, the General Assembly, the state system of politics, in my view, works in the state. I also lobby in Virginia, in Richmond, and D.C. Council. It's very different, and it's just not as functional, frankly. The legislature isn't as functional, doesn't get as much done. The the nonprofit community, the, the media conversation, just not anywhere like Maryland. Uh, and same with D.C. Council, uh, the District of Columbia. I think... Yeah, we're on. And by the way, uh, Ryan, I'm a big fan of your podcast. I've told you before, I'm an Annapolis junkie, and this is part of my uh, uh, my weekly routine. You're very good at it, and uh, I love hearing all perspectives, not just people who agree with me. Uh, but it's done in a really uh, civilized way, and it's compelling. It's compelling radio, and I appreciate it. Yep, we're the Chesapeake Climate Action Network, and you can learn more about us at www.chesapeakeclimate.org. I will also make a plug that our organization is raffling a brand new Tesla. So if you're interested in a Tesla, we have a raffle on our website. You can learn about it. Uh, make make a, it's, It was donated by one of our Baltimore board members, and for a $100 donation, you have a 1 in 1,800 chance of winning the car. And it's a great vehicle. It's outstanding. Yeah. 
ChesapeakeClimate.org. You can learn more about it, about all our campaigns, about the Tesla raffle. And, uh, uh, yeah, that's where you can learn about us. Well, thank you. It's a great honor to be on the show with Mike, and you're a terrific interviewer. Or thank you for having me here. It's uh, Maryland uh, Citizens Health Initiative, healthcareforall.com, www.healthcareforall.com. And we are, are just thrilled to be in a state, like Mike says, that gets things done, and we're going to make healthcare a priority for the future. Virginia, Virginia, Virginia. I'm basketball, basketball agnostic. <laughs> agnostic there, too. Yeah. I'm a Nats fan, true blue. I'm grieving over Bryce, but uh, we're going to have a good team. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. Absolutely. iTunes. Thank you.